Let's go over to 1 Corinthians, chapter number 1. Take another look in our toolbox here, God's toolbox, and the kind of tools He uses. You can work your way over to verse number 27, that's where we're going to be. Get a couple of things out here this morning. I'm going to I'm going to set an illustration before you, and some people can't see this because they only hear us on the internet. But I've got a hammer in my hand, and it's a very special hammer. All right, this one may not be special to you, but it's special to me. It's one that I've had like this my whole life. It seems I was very very young when I was given this hammer, and uh, I lost it, and then I found it again, and I was quite relieved to find it. So it's now a part of my life. I was so glad to find it. But it does very special things. And what I'm going to do is set it right here on the communion table. And while I'm speaking today, you keep an eye on it and see what special things it does. Alright? So, just keep an eye on that hammer. It does very, very special things. Okay? That's not to alarm you. It won't explode or anything like that. But uh, it, it does special things. So... I'll give you something uh, to keep a focus on as we go through. Verse number 27 today. Our second tool is right in the middle of the verse, but I'm going to read the entire verse here. Actually, I'm going to start with verse 26 and verse 27. For consider your calling, brethren. Uh, There were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And here it is. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. That's our focus today. Weak things. Tool God uses. Heavenly Father, we certainly need your help. As we open up your word and we sit at your feet, we ask that you might teach us. We need to be taught. Challenge us, Lord. We need that too. Change us. That's certainly why we we have come. That you might change us. You have promised that and you're active in that. Making us into the image of Christ. And Lord, we can look in a mirror and we can see that uh, much work needs to be done. But you are faithful to us and you have promised it will be completed. So we want to be willing participants in your work today. And in that, we submit ourselves to your word. Work in our lives that we might be different. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, what we actually have here is a study on being a servant of God. We would like to be servants of God, wouldn't we? I think that silence meant yes. We would like to be usable, right? We would like to be used by God. We would like to understand that He has chosen us. We would like to understand that He designed us the way we are. We'd like to understand His purpose for using us. We understand as well that our attitude needs a little attention, right? As servants, we must understand that's part of it. 
But how do you like to know that you can be used in that great ministry that God is active in, in building up the body of Christ? You're a part of that. And he uses you as one of his own servants, as one of his own tools, to build the body. Isn't that our calling? Yes, it is. We're all a part of the body of Christ, and as a part of the body of Christ, we all bring what the Lord has made us to this place that we might serve one another and build up the body. It's not one person who builds, it's everyone. We are all tools to be used by the Lord to build up the body of Christ. That's our calling, and we must consider our calling. That's what this study is for, that we might be good servants of the Lord. And so our focus here is upon tools that God is likely to use. And as we've noticed, uh, his preference is quite contrary uh, to what the Corinthians thought, I'm sure. What they thought were valuable, he is is showing that he chooses other things. Um, Same as what our world thinks is valuable and useful. God chooses things that are quite contrary to the world's opinion too. Matter of fact, If you've ever noticed this, and it's been going on for quite a number of years, we have an awful lot of leadership conferences. We have a lot of leadership training material. We have programs to to help identify leaders. And yet, how many times do we find servant training programs? Or servant conferences? Or servant identification systems so that we can... uh, better identify a servant. Here's something I've learned over the years, that uh, better leaders are better servants. And better servants are better leaders. You want to lead? Be a servant. That's what the Lord's called us to, is service. It's his choosing, right? He chooses foolish things. He chooses weak things. He chooses base things. He chooses despised things. He chooses things that are not. That's what our verses tell us in verse 27 and verse number 28. God chooses these. Now, if you're starting to to see that God tends to reach way down in the bottom of the toolbox, in order to choose what he wants to use, I think there's a correct understanding in that. It's his preferred tool. The thing that everyone else has passed by, covered up, tried to set something more impressive in, in front. Sometimes the tool can think a little highly of itself. I don't know if you've noticed that. Sometimes we can, can't we? We like to show the world what we can do, how we can do it. But God likes to show the world what he can do with a tool that the world has rejected. D.L. Moody, you've heard, I know you've heard this before. Uh, There was a quote he had heard from a man by the name of Henry Varley. And D.L. Moody kind of took it to his own life. And Varley had said the world has yet to see what God can do with and for and through and in and by the man who is fully and wholly consecrated to him. 
And Moody said, I will be that man. And that's kind of his uh, life statement. It goes with most of the comments that he has made. That kind of sums him up. He wants to show what the world, to the world, what God can do with a man consecrated to him. And part of the statement that generally doesn't get recorded, if you go and, you know, Google it and say, give me that quote, this part isn't usually found near it. But this is what Moody actually had referenced next to that. He said, he didn't call for an educated man. He didn't call for an intelligent man. He didn't call for a wealthy man. He called for a man. Any man who would be consecrated to him. Any man who is willing to give himself fully to him. He says, I can be that man. I can be that man. What you see in the the history of the church, if you study church history, is that God chose consecrated and devoted men and women. That's his choice of tool. Willing to be usable, willing to be used to the glory of God. That's the kind of men and women and boys and girls he still chooses today. He looks for those who are willing, those who are consecrated to him, those who are devoted with all their heart to serving him. He can choose right from this church, can't he? The man or the woman, the boy or the girl that has given themselves to the Lord. He can choose you, can't he? And he can use you, can't he? He can choose right here from the state of Oklahoma. He can choose us. He can choose me. He can choose you. That's the kind of person he looks for. A willing servant. You go into the Corinthian world like we're going to do. We find that they think strength is the virtue of choice. Strength, after all, we elevate the strong, don't we? They did too. We, we make the strong our leaders because we like strong leaders. They did too. We, we want the strong to be our spokesmen. We, we, we give them larger salaries, don't we? I don't think their culture was much different than ours. I'm sure they got great honor for being strong men. We, we take the strong and we give them places in the Hall of Fame, don't we? It's what we do with the strong. We, we sometimes look at athletes this way, and maybe that's a, a simple way to illustrate that. We want our athletes to do superhuman feats. Impress us. Show us what you can do that no one else can do. We like that. We want them to run faster than any other person in history. We want them to uh, hit more home runs than anyone ever recorded before. We want them to throw the fastest or throw the farthest or throw the most accurate. We've got all kinds of criteria we're expecting. And we're willing to pay a fortune to the man who can do it. That's the way we think. But, of course, they can't use performance-enhancing drugs to do it, right? Isn't that kind of interesting how we expect them to do superhuman feats, but they can't use anything to make them such? It's kind of an interesting uh, contradiction of things. No wonder why they're trying to perform the extraordinary as ordinary men. You've got to find some other way to do that. So our society is really full of contradictions like that because we expect our leaders to be absolutely flawless and perfect and and incredible. 
And when they're not, we say, oh, well, they're not very good leaders, are they? What do we want for a leader? Think it through. The strongest, right? Incredible things we want from our leaders. Now, this isn't a philosophical study, obviously. It's not a sociological study either. It's a servant study. A servant study. And I said that before you because the world will always have its mighty men. It always has. It always will. And we will just go on celebrating them until the end of time. But, verse 26 says, Consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty. See that? Not many noble. Now, let's define the mighty first. What do you mean by mighty? Well, the, the word in the Greek is, is, in that family of words, we get dunamis. Uh, we'd say dynamite. We're talking about powerful, right? Um, actually, the, the word has more to do with ability, capability. Those kind of words are wrapped up in that, not blowing things up, but what can they do? That's the idea of might. That's the idea of power, what it can do, what it can accomplish, if you will. Um, these are men. Mighty men are men who get things done. And you know how our world loves that. Especially if they get it done quickly. We especially are like that. But they get it done. And if they can't do it just by mere force, which some do, maybe they have the finances to do it. And don't we give a lot of power to those who have a lot in their pocket? Yes, we do. Because they can get it done. Because they have finances. They're those who have great intelligence, we, we lift them up. They're mighty in another way. They, they can think through things. They have insights that nobody else has. But they get it done. That's a mighty man. They may be very clever in getting things done. They could out, out with anybody and get it done. But they get it done. That's a mighty man. They get it done. You see, we like that. Corinthians did too. They had their mighty men among them and, and they favored them. It was among their favorite tools. They promoted that tool. They gave it much, much glory. And down through the ages, the world has worshipped the mighty. Generals of great armies uh, have rejoiced in their own might. They find it exhilarating, so much so that some of them are, are prone to taunt to the weaker enemy. You ever hear of that? Ever read of that in history? Don't have to go even very far. It's right there in your Bible, too. Some spend a great portion of time polishing up, shining up their armor and their weapons because it's impressive. It's powerful, you see. They stand out and look from their fortresses and say, You can't defeat me. I'm powerful. They claim they can never be conquered. I, well, we know those stories, too, don't we? Once in a while, folks, God will use a mighty man. Once in a while, he does. Maybe you're a mighty man, or a woman, or whatever you want to view in this concept. Maybe you've got might. Maybe it's intelligence. Maybe it's in money. Maybe it's in power. Whatever it is. Maybe you've got that. God can still use you. That sounds simple, and maybe it even sounds silly. But remember, once we start to view ourselves this way, we start to get caught up in who we are. 
We start to think high of ourselves. We start to confuse who is the tool and who is the one using that tool. Certainly, we don't need another set of boastful mighty men, do we? We don't need that at all. Paul's making a very strong contrast between verse 26 and 27. He starts 27, but. Now, there's not, there's many, not many mighty men. There are some. But, God chooses. And that's what we're looking at in verse 27. God himself chooses for himself the weak things of the world in order that he might shame the strong things. This is our first point, and we're going to make it every single week. Number one, this is God's choice. Alright? This is God's choice. It's His wisdom. It's not ours. We only see on the surface, and we're impressed with the surface. But God sees what we cannot see. He doesn't base His choice on the ability of the tool. This is, this is where it gets rather interesting. Tools are not chosen because they've impressed him. They didn't manipulate him to choose them. They didn't captivate him with a display of all that the tool can do. God chose by his choice, by his wisdom. He chooses by his grace. It's only by grace, as we've sung this morning, but understand it. It's only by grace we're even saved, right? It's only by grace that we're in this box to be used by Him. It's only by grace that He picks us up and says, I've got a purpose here, and uses us. It's only by His grace. One thing I'm so thankful for is that He didn't make me audition in order to get chosen. Aren't you glad for that? I don't know if any of us would have been chosen if we had to audition. But He chooses. I, I'm going to underscore that so you understand this. He chooses for Himself. He chooses the tools. He chooses. And He hasn't chosen any tool for the tool's own glory. He has not. He has not chosen you. He hasn't chosen me for the sake of our glory. It's for His glory. He chooses. And so I think we need to, to put that down as item number one every week, right? So we understand it's God who chooses. Second thing we add to this, uh, I mentioned it last week. There, there is a purpose in his choosing. In verse number 27, he actually it says the same thing about both tools. In the same fashion, last week we talked about him choosing the foolish in order that he might shame the wise. This one, it says in verse 27... God has chosen the weak things of the world in order that to shame the things which are strong. It's the same word. To shame them. To shame them. This is simple, and I'm not going to go into a big production to explain this, but I'll say it simply this way. He works against the pride of the strong tool. God is against the proud. It's a humbling thing just to think about that and to measure ourselves according to that and say, oh my. God never works with the proud. That's not his tool of choice. Proverbs 6, a couple of verses there, verse 16 through 19, it says this. 
There are six things which the Lord hates. Wow, that's a strong term, isn't it? Six things that the Lord hates. Yes, seven things which are an abomination to Him. And do you know what's first on the list? Yes. Pride. Haughty eyes. The first thing. The guy who's got his nose way up here, right? And he looks down. Those kind of eyes. First thing, when God says, I'm going to make a list of everything I hate, that's first on the list. Ooh. I'm not going to read you the rest of the list. You could read that sometimes. 16, 17, 18, 19 of Proverbs. You can go through the book of Psalms. You can go through the book of Proverbs. All over the place. It will reinforce the fact that God hates pride. He hates arrogance. And it comes up in verse after verse after verse. And in my own heart, I say, Lord, don't let me do that. What about you? Keep me from that. I don't want to be that way. He, he, he wants to work with something that thinks more about itself than him. He wants to work with something that thinks more about itself than about the work it does. I don't think so. That's not God's choice of tools. See, these aren't soft words, obviously. But God says He plans to dishonor. He shames the strong. He dishonors it. He discredits it. He shames it because these things want to possess power. That's why, really, the strong is not the focus of our study today. The focus is on God, and the tool He chooses is the weak things. That's our focus today. And I I purposely walked through that for us to see the value of what God has purposely chosen. The weak things. The weak things. It's His design. Even if the world's opinion about it is different, they do not think much of the weak. God does. God does. Matter of fact, let me define the weak for you, since we're at it here. Uh, it comes from a, a family of Greek words. Real simple. I'm not going to even say the words, because, you know, that doesn't do us much good. But there, there, there is one family that talks of bodily vigor. All right? That's one. Hang on to that. Bodily vigor. That's, that's one family of Greek words. Another one is the ability to stand. All of these are kind of mixed together. The ability to stand, the vigor to stand, and it's got a picture of strength. And that's the way it's, it's referenced when these words get together. It's strength. There's a game we played as, as kids, and I've probably told you this before, but we lived up on a hill. My dad's from West Virginia, and uh, Indiana doesn't have many hills. Oklahoma has less. But uh, we didn't have many hills in Indiana, so my dad made a hill to put his house on top of it. And so we lived up on a hill. There's a great view of the whole neighborhood from up there. But we lived up on this hill, and of course it's grass down there and, and, and all the rest. So we as kids had this wonderful game we called King of the Hill, where one would stand at the top and everyone in the neighborhood would try to get him off that hill. That's all it takes. Just grab him, tackle him, drag him down. doesn't matter what you do, just so he's no longer king. And then the next guy who's strong enough is standing at the top. And guess what we do with him? We go and grab him and tackle him and drag him down the hill until somebody else is up there. And guess what then? 
You couldn't believe the grass stains we could put in clothing. Incredible. But it was fun. It was always, who was the champion? He's the one standing at the top. That was our game. The weak person is not standing. The Greek word just puts the letter A. We call it alpha, but they put the A in front of that whole family of words, and they say, not standing. No bodily vigor. That's the weak. Whatever you think of strong, erase it all. That's the weak. Matter of fact, the definition is actually strengthless, feeble, impotent, sick, weak. Those are the words. In our world of the survival of the fittest, the weak are rejected. That's our world, right? We don't choose them for our athletic teams. We don't choose the weak to lead our corporations. We don't go out and look for the weak to serve in the church, do we? Oh, we need leadership. Let's find the weakest guy we can get. What do we look for in a pastor when we have to look for a pastor? Oh, let's find a weak one. Right? Do we ever say it that way? No. Because our, our world, our organizations, our missionaries, everyone that we think of, even in the church circle, we have this expectation of strong, don't we? In leadership, in ability to communicate, we've got a whole list of things we expect. Do we know something God doesn't know? Why do we do it this way? Our thesaurus says that the weak people are puny and scrawny and pathetic and fragile. Does God know something we don't know? We try to look for strength. God looks for weak. That verse I read to you at the very beginning of our service, Isaiah chapter 40. These words, I'll read to you one more time. Verse 29, 30, 31. Very familiar verse number 31. But notice, notice it as it starts in verse 29. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Look at the group that God has chosen right there in those words. The weary. Those are the faint, the fatigued. You ever been there? (laughs) Some of you say, I know that story too well. To whom does God give strength? To the weary. And also him who lacks might. He lacks might. He has no physical strength or vigor. He has none. That's what it says here. And to that who has none, God increases power. Those are neat words. I like them. So to the weary, that's what he does. He gives strength, right? To those who lack physical strength, he increases power. That's what it says. It's a real simple picture. Why? Why does, why does God uh, choose them if he's going to empower them? Wouldn't it be better just to choose them already powered up? Would you go out and buy batteries that are dead? So no, I want the ones already charged, ready to go. I want the ones with power. There's not a market for dead batteries. That's the one God will buy. He wants the dead. Really. Because 
Verse 31 is the answer to this. Because it's a matter of trust. If we have strength, who are we going to trust? Ourselves. If we have no strength, who do we trust? Him. And this is what it says. Yet those who wait on the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. The key to that whole thing, there was a lot of results, but the key to it was those who wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. This has to do with confidence in Him. That has to do with trust in Him. Because either our confidence will be in what we can do, or it will be in what He can do. And what's interesting is that little word, wait, if you start digging in some uh, Hebrew books, I, I, you could go down some of the old ones and dig through it. There is a, a base word for the word wait, and it has to do with tying things together, binding things. All right? Most of the time we think of wait as we just stand around and wait for something, right? We're going to wait for the Lord to give us strength, so we're going to wait. That's not what it means. It comes from the, the root idea to tie yourself to something, to twist yourself around something, to entwine yourself with something. Those who entwine themselves around the Lord gain new strength. What have they brought to the Lord? Nothing, right? Where's their strength? It's not in what they contribute, it's what He contributes. And so, the strength, even the weakest thing wrapped around the strongest thing is the strongest thing. You see? That's what he says. All you have to do is trust me. I've got the strength, the Lord says. Just entwine yourself around me. That's the picture. I think it's a beautiful picture. Very beautiful picture. How much has this thing done so far? This hammer's just sitting there, right? So far? Hang on. It's very special. Wait. Just keep your eye on it. I want to talk about another set of tools first. They're my screwdriver set. Alright, I've got some of these here. Not much uh, in size, are they? They're great for getting into small places, but uh, I've got this little guy here, kind of fat and a little chubby. This one's kind of short and skinny. And a very small head on that one. And then this one gets a little bit shorter, and, and uh, yet this one is much, much shorter. This one is great, too. It's, it's about as fragile as can be, but it works great for glasses. All right? Not too many of these can get in there and turn that tiny little screw on the glasses, but you've got to have a, a little one like this, too. Most of these are, are small, as you can see. If our world was to evaluate these compared to big ones in the box, they'd say, oh, that's kind of puny. And you know what? For a lot of jobs, it can't do it. That's just reality. It just can't do it. The jobs that a big one perhaps can. Outward appearances? Very puny, very tiny. You know, somewhat pathetic maybe. We know why they're in the box, but for the most part they're little. And what can a little thing do? You know what? Our list of what a little thing can't do is longer than the list of what a little thing can do. Isn't it? We can go all day long saying all the problems that a little thing can't do. And maybe that's exactly the problem. We prefer things that can do a lot. 
not the things that can do a little. See, our view is based on quantity. That's the whole point of power. It's on quantity. And if it can't do a lot of things, we diminish its value. Don't we? Compared to others, yeah. Good old Mrs. Vickroy. Love that lady. She was about 86 years old when I first met her. She would constantly tell me, almost every single Sunday, I don't know why the Lord has left me here. I just can't do anything. She could do an awful lot of things. She prayed for me. I kept telling her that. That's not a little thing. You've got a huge project when you pray for me. But she always would say it that way in her sweet smile. Much like some of these puny tools. I can't do many things. I'm too tiny. I'm too puny. I just can't do it. Here's the reality. How much has that hammer done? It's done nothing. It's just sat there this whole morning, right? You're just looking at it. It's not doing anything. It's not going to do anything. That's the reality. Unless a hand with power picks it up and uses it. As, as much as I might be impressed by it, I might like it, you might not like it, it doesn't matter. We can talk all day long about the value of that tool, but that tool can do nothing on its own. Right? Nothing on its own. I wonder why the Lord keeps telling us that. He said it to Zechariah once. In the book of Zechariah, he had to report this to the priest and to the, to the uh, um, leaders of the land. He says, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Zechariah, chapter 4, verse 6. And then he takes a little shepherd boy with a rock. You know the story? Knocks down a man by the name of Goliath and kills him. David runs into battle in 1 Samuel 17, verse 47, and, and this is what he says, I want this whole assembly to know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hands. And then Jesus talking to His disciples on the way to Gethsemane one day, He said to them in John fifteen five, I am the vine and you are the branches, and He who abides in Me and I in Him, He bears much fruit. For apart from Me you can do nothing. There's our hammer. It does nothing until it's picked up by a hand with strength. Right? It could lay there all day long in all its glory. It does nothing until a hand picks it up. You see the picture? It's not hard to understand it, is it? So many times we give glory to the tool when it's the Lord's hand that uses them. It's the Lord's hand that uses them. See, it doesn't matter how powerful you are, unless the Lord's hand is in it, you can do nothing. And it doesn't matter how weak you are. With the Lord's hand in it, you can do anything. You see? Doesn't the scripture teach us that? How much can I do through Christ who strengthens me? All things, right? All things. When Paul goes into ministry, 
Paul, he said this, I'm well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And we look at this and say, okay, impressive hammer. But you know what I like about this hammer? It comes apart. It has a screwdriver in it. Pretty neat. And then you pull the handle apart, and guess what you got? Another screwdriver. Then you pull off the end of this. Guess what I'm going to find? Another screwdriver. Can you believe it? I take it apart one more time. What do I have? A very tiny, tiny screwdriver. You're going to think this is a Dr. Seuss story or something, aren't you? If I pull out the next one, is it going to go vroom and just clean out the snow? We, we sometimes say, but that's not much. But put it in the hand of a powerful God, and what do you have? A tool that's used. A tool that is used. Don't ever, ever underestimate what God can do with a puny tool. Don't ever underestimate the fact that He chooses weak tools. The world looks at it, says, I don't see a purpose. God looks at it and says, I see usefulness. I choose the weak tool. So consider your calling. Have we been chosen? Yes. Are we designed in a way that suits His purpose? Yes. Are we here to bring Him glory? Yes. If you're a puny tool this morning, rejoice, the Lord can use you. Give Him the glory. Give Him the glory. Let's talk to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the encouragement we need. So often, dear Father, we look upon ourselves and say, boy, are we inferior to the rest of this world. We're small. Even we may be a small congregation to some. We might be a small town compared to others. We may start to think small is bad. But we've learned this morning how wonderful it can be to be small in your hands. We want to be used. And we thank you that you can use us. And you've called us. And for those who might have been struggling along the way thinking that they have no purpose, show them again the tool you use the tool you choose that you might get the glory and the praise that we might come out of here rejoicing that we are useful to you and may we be busy about that this week being used by you to your honor to your glory we pray in Jesus name Amen